Welcome to Sacred Rebels Podcast, where we discuss life after trauma as we question societal norms and shatter stigmas. Are you a woman who longs for a sense of community and understanding? Well, stick around. There is a seat for you here. This is your host, Tay. And co-host, Amy. And we're just two best friend millennial moms and entrepreneurs navigating life and motherhood while on a spiritual healing journey. We don't do surface level, and we're definitely not your typical moms, so let's dig deep. We plan to cover it all and take you behind the scenes as we share our personal experiences, learn more about the holistic side of healing, and introduce all the incredible humans we've met along the way. Join us as we share the good, the bad, and the ugly side of healing. We hope to help you step into your power. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Sacred Rebels. Tonight, we have Marianne Williamson here, and we are so very excited. Amy is going to introduce her. Um, Tonight, we are so honored to have Marianne Williamson. She is an author and a presidential candidate. And I think she is the number one sacred rebel to be running in <laughs> as a president in the man's world. And she, um, you know, we had her pull a card and it was light legacy. And I think that legacy, like that is so powerful to even think about that. And, you know, one of the main reasons we wanted to have you on here is to talk about your holistic journey and bringing collective consciousness into politics because it is the one place that it's missing and not for nothing but that's a legacy in itself in this time in this age so and there is a legacy of light in american politics the founding of this country um uh, look at the great seal of the united states it's a picture of the great pyramid of giza Mm -hmm. and um on the great pyramid of giza there used to be a capstone and nobody knows what happened to the capstone. They know that it was gold, and they know that it had painted in blue the eye of Horus, <clears throat> which is like the third eye, the birth of Christ, Buddha mind, mm-hmm. etc. And the way the light would shine on the capstone, people could see for, I suppose, hundreds of miles away, I don't know, where the pyramid was. Well, the capstone is gone, and nobody knows for sure where it is. If it had just fallen down, it would have been found already by archaeologists, because they're always digging, obviously, Egyptologists and so forth. Some people feel it would be on that causeway between the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx. Nobody's found it. The metaphysical tradition says that when humanity is in a fallen state, that's symbolized by the, by the fall of the capstone, and that when humanity becomes enlightened again, the capstone will be found. It is now buried within the sands of Egypt, means buried within the subconscious Mm. mind. Mm. Our founders, five of the founders, made that visual the great seal of the United States. The capstone returned, the light shining from it, and the line in Latin, Novus Ordo Seclorum, which means new order of the ages. Look at your dollar bill. And that's the great seal of the United States. So those kinds of metaphysical beginnings were very known to the founders. Um, Benjamin Franklin was a Rosicrucian. Many of them were Masons. Um, This was considered one of the gentleman's arts in those days. So yeah, look at the great seal. Wow, that's so beautiful. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I, I know I need to travel. Up to so the time. legacy of light, you know, uh, the founding of the United States and much of our historical trajectory, many, you know, many consider Lincoln truly one of the great uh, yeah. figures of humanity. So there's quite a legacy of light. Uh, 
in the ideal of the of of the United States. Now, there's also been the counterforce on its back, riding its back from the very beginning, slavery and all manner of institutionalized suppression. But the legacy of light is very real in terms mm. of the political history of the United States. So when you said a minute ago that it's so absent from politics, that's number one, you're absolutely right, tragically so, yeah. but also for those who do have an understanding of the larger history, it's just buried at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. buried at the moment, but it's always been there. It's a, anytime you have, you know, The Course in Miracles defines light as understanding. Yeah. The idea, the very idea that everyone should be able to self-actualize, because that's really the American ideal. Yeah. All men are created equal, um, inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The idea that everyone should have a right to self-actualize. Not that we've ever totally manifested, but that ideal is a great light at the core, and it has been a light unto the nations. And when yeah. we shed that light, we've been a great blessing. And when we forget it, terrible things have happened for us and for other people in the world. Yeah. We're living in an actual state of fear. This, this, you know, this entire last few years, I feel like, has just been so fear-run, and, and nobody knows what's going on. I feel like you can't really trust anything that we hear we just like nobody knows <clears throat> well i think also for those of us who do believe in inner dimensions of knowing through reflection through mm. prayer through meditation and so forth you say nobody knows if you're only getting your evidence of what's real and your information from external data <laughs> no one knows but we all know you're right. i know in my in my campaign one of the things that i end up saying to every audience is I'm not telling you anything we don't already know. But we've been taught not to own what we know. Yep. I say it all the time. It's about unlearning and remembering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because when you start to remember, because when you start to unlearn and see all the broken systems and all the broken patterns that we've been taught to believe were truth, but it goes against everything that we like inner know and trust our guts and our hearts. Thus that, sacred rebel. Yes. That to truly live in the sacred is to be in a state of nonviolent rebellion against the prevailing thought system of the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So would you mind giving us a little bit of like backstory of your life and how, you know, you decided to now run for president and what your journey looks like as far as like <coughs> spirituality and all of the things or even how the course of miracle the book that yeah all of it so well i interestingly enough here in new hampshire oddly enough when i was 14 years old i took my first philosophy class at um exeter Phil phillips exeter mm -hmm. academy wow. in exeter new hampshire and i remember it opening the pamphlet and there was um a class called philosophical approaches to the question of god I remember just being blown away, and I was in heaven. I was in heaven. It was my first introduction to philosophy, and I just thought it was so amazing. So it's so interesting here being in New Hampshire because people will say, how did your career begin? And it's like, interestingly enough, here. there is a New Hampshire connection. Anyway, um, I was always interested in anything that had to do with the higher mind. It could be Buddha. It could be St. Augustine. It could be comparative religion, it could be tarot and astrology. I never felt there was an either or. Anything that had to do, it could be Eastern, it could be Western, it could be exoteric, it could be esoteric. Anything that had to do, I could be 
looking there at your shelf, or I could be reading Heidegger or Hegel. Because it's all just anything that had to do with the sort of internal dimension mm. of things was always fascinating to me. But when I started this career niche that ultimately became what I was known for and that many people now, you know, everybody, you know, all kinds of little priestesses are running around yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. That niche, <laughs> that niche didn't exist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have anything to be um, ambitious for. Yeah. My parents would say things like, well, why don't you go to rabbinical school? I'm like, no, I'm not feeling it. Then they'd say, well, why don't you get, a, you can get a PhD in comparative religion and then you could teach at a college. No, I'm not feeling it. And so I was just, eating up books like this which I ultimately would write too and I would just was just love to to you're a this seeker. was what I loved and my parents of course were, what are you going to do what are you going to do well I have a waitress job you know <laughs> so um I then think I that's also I have young teenagers right now I think that's also we've been sold this program that you have to get out of school and like know well I understand I'm need. a mother now myself so I understand you know we want our kids to be able to have a life and I understand from where my parents were it was time for me to sort of get on with it and how are you going to make a living and you know, and that's why they were trying to help, like, be a rabbi. If you, were, you know, they were trying to help me figure out a way within the... So then I, I found the Course in Miracles. I was at somebody's party in New York, and it was sitting on the table. And I opened it. And now you see books that don't have an author on the front. But in those days, you never saw that. It's like, that's so weird. There's no author. And I opened it up, and it said, this is A Course in Miracles. It is a required course. I thought, what book says it's required? And then you read more, and you learn it's not saying this book is required, but just the journey of finding your heart is required. And then I saw Christian terminology. And even though I had read a lot of Christian theology in college, this was not college, and I thought, well, you know, I'm Jewish. and that's. But a year later, I opened the book again. And when you read it, you see that even though there is that terminology, it is not the Christian religion. It is not a religion. Uh, there's no dogma. There's no doctrine. It's universal spiritual themes presented in a psychotherapeutic way. It's the psychology of a spiritual life. And I was just blown away by it. Mm. And that's all I wanted to do was read it. And then I had a bookstore. And... Um, I would have these little classes and then I taught at this metaphysical place in LA and the woman who ran it asked me to give these lectures she was a hoot she didn't like me but she, she was a very strange woman the angels told me to ask you but she made, she made no she was really 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 right wing and she was really into like what the angels were saying to her it was a very bizarre mix her name was Pat Irvin and I, it's almost like I could see her right now. The angels told me to ask you. You know, she clearly didn't like me. But she gave me my career, which is interesting. So she asked me if I wanted to give. She said, you've been reading these books, of course, in miracles. I said, yes. She said, well, we need someone to give lectures here on Saturday morning. So I was just thrilled. I was working at this metaphysical book publisher in Los Angeles, and I was giving these Saturday, night, Saturday morning talks. And I was just in seventh heaven, and, and I just thought life was grand and then 
the AIDS crisis. That was in Los Angeles. I moved there in 1983. And then the AIDS crisis happened. And these little lectures I was giving at the Philosophical Research Society, all of a sudden, particularly gay men were coming because this horrible thing was happening. The organized religions had very little to say about it for a while. They had to work through their own homophobia and mm. so forth. Western medicine was trying. It's not like they weren't trying, but this disease was nobody. It was, it was much like COVID, and it was the opposite. So with COVID, it was very easy to get, but the chances were you would survive. With AIDS, it was very difficult to get, but if you got it, the chances yeah. were you would die. So, yeah. But it was a similar panic. Yeah. And so in a very real way, gay men in L.A. gave me my uh, career because all of a sudden, and then it became too big for them, and we started going different places, and it sort of became the place for a lot of people to be. There was this, because remember, I was only 31 years old, and, I, and there weren't. This phenomenon didn't exist. Priestesses weren't running around every corner. Yeah. You know, it wasn't the same. So then there was a man named Jerry Jampolsky. And Jerry Jampolsky said to me, uh, he, he had written this book um, called Love is Letting Go of Fear, based on the Course in Miracles. He was a psychiatrist who lived in California. And it was a, it was a Thursday night in San Francisco. We were having dinner, and he said, Marianne, you should write a book. I said, well, other people have told me I should write a book, but I don't feel pregnant with a book. He said, it's in those little tapes. We had this little thing called cassette tapes. I, like I bet you don't even know what cassette tapes are. I know what a cassette tape okay. is. Okay. They were all of these. Everybody's listening to these little cassette tapes. And he said, well, it's in your tapes. I said, I don't know how to get it from my tapes to a page. Mm. He said, let's just join in consciousness right now that there is someone out there who would know how to get it from the tape to the page. Okay, that was a Thursday. Two days later, I'm giving a lecture, that was in San Francisco. Two days later, I'm back giving my lecture on a Saturday morning in LA. At the end of my lecture, a man comes up, he introduces himself as a literary agent. He said, have you thought of writing a book? I said, yes, other people have told me that. I don't know what, I don't feel pregnant with a book. He said, it's in your tapes. I said, I don't know how to get it, the tapes to the page paper. He said, I can help you. Now, if he called me, I don't know because we didn't have we didn't have voicemails yeah. yet. So I don't know what happened with him. Four days after that, I'm in New York City, exactly a week after having dinner with Jerry Jampolsky. And I give my lecture in New York, and at the end there's a man standing at the end of the line. I had a very strong sense I had destiny with him. He came up to me. Call it, said, I'm Al Loman, I'm a literary agent. I said, that's nice. He said, have you thought of writing a book? I said, uh, yes, people have told me that. I'm not pregnant with a book. He said, it's in your tapes. I said, I don't know how to get it from the tapes to the page. He said, I can help you. And when that book came out, it was the fifth largest selling book that year. Wow. And it was New York Times number one for 35 weeks. So, and that book was my reflections on The Course in Miracles. So I didn't, there was no ambition no ambition because there was nothing to be ambitious for. This career niche didn't, didn't even exist. Yeah. And then so it came from a kind of innocence. And then this thing happened, which younger people today might not really viscerally understand what it means. Oprah called. 
I know. <laughs> Oprah. So in those days, if Oprah called, that's a house. Yeah, you right? answer. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so then that, that's how my career began. So it's not like I was never interested in politics. I was always, and I was raised in a political home. It wasn't that I wasn't interested. I just felt, like my father used to say to me, what happened to you? I raised you to wage the revolution. I said, but... It is a revolution, Daddy. Love is the greatest revolution. Mm -hmm. He came to understand that. that, and it was all cool. But then my career started helping people with AIDS and other very serious, desperate hours in their lives. And about 20 years after that, I began to see that people living through despair was no longer the exception, like... Somebody got AIDS, somebody got cancer, somebody went bankrupt, somebody's spouse left, somebody died, you lost a loved one. Those are in the sort of shit happens category. It just happens. I began to see people in despair where it was a chronic despair that was something else. It was the way the society had become. Mm. And I began to see that people were living lives that a certain level of tension and grasping just to make it became more the ex more the rule than the exception that had not been for me when i was just you know hanging out being a oh i'm fine i'm a temporary secretary i'll do waitressing jobs i'm giving lectures on a course of me. you didn't you didn't nobody had money but you didn't have to somehow it was, you could make it you every you could make it you know you paid your rent there wasn't this grasping that people, young people feel today. So I began to realize, no, something's wrong. This is bad public policy. It's too hard for people. And that's when I began to ultimately understand, um, no, this is a problem that needs to be addressed mm. on a level of public policy. People don't have health care. People have to work more than one job. Um, people don't know how to send their kids to college. People have college loan debts. None of those things were an issue in that way when I was when I was growing up. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't, like, my parents didn't have to struggle. I mean, my parents were 24 and 25 with three kids, and my dad was still able to buy a house and exactly. work a white-collar job, and my Ex mom worked at the hospital, like, and we were fine. Like, we didn't have abundant, but they were fine, exactly. and they didn't struggle, and yeah. we could still go camping on the weekends. That's but exactly right. that's not attainable right now. That's, you, you said it. That's it right there. In the 1970s, the average American worker could afford a house, could afford a car, could afford a yearly vacation, could afford for one parent to stay home if they wanted to, and could afford to send their kids to college. Exactly what you were just saying. That's exactly the point. And that, and so what can ha if you look at that family, and then you look today, there's just so much you can help people through personal transformation, but if they still go out and just the, the level of struggle and tension, so that's, that's yeah. my journey to realize we have to, it's both and. You have to do the inner work and the outer work. It's not either or. Yeah, yeah well, this system's not set up for anybody to have yeah. success right now because there's so much disconnect. There's so much divide. There's so much separation. So much divide. And well, but the real way? divide isn't between left and right. That's just yeah. artificial. No, you're right. It's no. between those who have it's easy access to capital and ways to get more pretty yep. easily versus those who are struggling. Exactly. And those are, that's a political issue, that's economics. And, and we who are interested in transforming the world cannot stand on the outside. And, I, and that's been my, you know, it, it was interesting to me when, particularly when I ran last time, it was projected onto me that I was all woo woo. In this area, in this community, I've always been the one 
saying, no, this can't be just woo-woo. The goddess is fierce when you're hurting her kids. <laughs> you know, it's not just about, yes. you know, cut velvet and chanting. It's about don't fuck with those children, you know. I was the one always saying that. So it was particularly um, insulting and hurtful for me when, you know, the narrative was created. Yeah, that was so of course. Well, that's what I don't understand. Like, it's like listening to the book. I, you know, I was listening to The Godwinks and The Course of Miracles and the things that you were, you know, writing about is that when we really pay attention and we notice the miracles, the little things, the secret, the synchronicities of the universe, when we act out of love and not out of fear, you almost can't deny that there's this woo-woo piece of universal like connection, not un like universal law that's all happening. I would say. All I would say is it's not woo-woo. It's no. deeply sophisticated. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. I mean, science now, you know, when I hear all this verification, well, even science says that, even physics says that. Like, you know, we're talking ancient wisdom and this little upstart of Western material science, but fine, you think you need to verify, fine. But I think the point is the ancient wisdom is proving to be the most sophisticated yeah. mm -hmm. wisdom. And that's why I think we need to take a stand, not against what it is, but against calling it woo-woo. Because that's just witch-burning yeah. all over again. There's yeah. an, that's no different than exactly. uh, what happened to the women who were burned at the stake exactly. for knowing herbal remedies and so forth. Yeah, witch hunts are still a thing. Yeah, Pardon? and we watched that. <laughs> we, oh, oh, you said witch hunts are still a thing, for sure. And we I'm watched sorry? the interview. The interview you just did, that oh, the witch hunts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is um, a documentary called The Burning Times. It was made quite a few years ago by the Canadian Film Board. Uh, and you want to watch it. Um, what so is it called? It's called The Burning Times. And it's about the Middle Ages and the burning of the so-called witches. Several hundred thousand wow. women. It's, uh, it was a holocaust. It was yeah. an absolute female holocaust. Um, well, I took my kids. There's a tour in Salem. Don't take, don't have your children watch this film. It's a horrifying. Film, oh no, right? I wouldn't. But you can go to the Salem and like take tours. Oh, in Salem, right, Halloween. right? Yeah, because yeah. it's like we're an hour from there. So I've taken my kids down to like learn about it all. You can go you to know, all the different sites and. I, I was it you were telling. I'm not sure. <coughs> I was telling a friend the other day. Uh, there was a show on television that Skip Gates did from Harvard. It was on PBS or one of those about finding your ancestry and they would take he would have celebrities on and he would reveal to them and Sarah Jessica Parker's great 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 grandmother or whatever was in the group of so-called witches who were condemned to die in Salem and then they were the last batch when that judge had this kind of amazing grace moment and they weren't it was Sarah Jessica Parker's Great, great. Isn't that fascinating? Wow, that's yeah, you can't make that. You can't make it up. Yeah, like, you can't make the, that up. Those are the things where you're like, okay, that's sophisticated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is something that you can't be like, also, oh, okay, that's not a coincidence. There is, you can't have a coincidence yeah. that deep and be like. How old are your children? Um, well, I have a lot, but I have five. Um, there's eight. My oldest daughter will be 18 tomorrow. Shout out, can't believe she's going to be 18. Then um, 16, 12, 6, 3. That's so fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Little tribe. Yeah, I've got a tribe. How many Some boys, of how mine, many girls? And, um, I, I took a few in during COVID, and I've had them have guardianship of them. I have three girls, two boys. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Greatest gift. Super so blessed. It's the best. 
so she'll be 18 tomorrow, and uh, it's been a wild ride, and my youngest will be three, or is three. And her, she has two children, and our children are best friends. And how old are they? Four and two. Oh. Yes. I love four-year-olds. They're my favorite. It's so fun. I could just rent a four-year-old every I year. I know. He's so fun. And There's the things he says now. Just I know. Right at the door. I know. He's so smart, too. Like, he's such a sponge. And What's his name? And the stuff he says to me. Kanan and Hayes. And these are them. <laughs> I know. They're pretty cute. And so my six-year-old and my we have play dates every wednesday yeah my they're like little they're, besties they're all besties yeah it's amazing and like we get to change this generation right like we're doing all this work so we can be a better example for this future generation and helping change all I of that i think every generation tries to do that yes i do too in some way yeah you do the best with what you have and what you know right and at that time like we say it all the time like our parents did the best with what they had or like what they knew and now we're doing the best that we can. with what we know now and what and we're learning. We met because we're both in recovery from heroin addiction. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So you've seen, you've been to hell and back. Yeah. Oh, a few times. And you brought wisdom back with you. We did. It's beautiful. Yeah. And so we've been, we've both been like on this spiritual journey of exploring, you know, what this means to us and what it's done for us. And like you said, it's like, it's, people need to know or like they have to have verification or have to know but it's like we know like you have that we have this inner knowing and um we've just been exploring that and that's how this came about and we love sitting with women like like-minded women who have a story and a powerful message and it's incredible that you're you know sitting here with us like who would have thought like you know yeah I mean 13 years ago I was homeless living under a bridge and yeah now here I am in the business that I own you know, it's sitting beautiful. here with a presidential yeah. candidate. Big things. And I think it's incredible, right? Like you, this is, this is the type of leadership that we need. My question I think would be how, how do you plan, you know, like if you win, how do you plan to lead with love and help heal when the collective? Win. Yeah. When you win, when you win, when you win, it's already happened. Public policy is no different than personal behavior. It's just collective behavior. You wake up every morning and you, Try to live the, as best you can a life of goodness yep. uh, where you care about other people, where you try to be an ethical person, where you try to treat other people well, where you try to have standards of excellence for yourself and others, and you just try to live according to the radar of what is correct. Just like in yoga, it's there. there's an asana, what is the correct positioning. We try to live the correct positioning. Public policy should be no different than that. It should be, what, what, is, what is the right thing to do? Well, you would feed the child. You would take care of the earth. Mm. You would help the stranger. You wouldn't, you wouldn't allow, just in your personal life, you wouldn't say, money, money, money comes before everything else. Yeah. You don't do that. You, want to, you have to make a living. You ha want to pay your bills. There is such a thing as righteous profit. But you don't put money before being a good person. Yeah. And that's how public policy should be. Uh, economic abundance is important and stimulating that. But the best way to stimulate a healthy economy is by helping people thrive. Yeah. That's how you bring love. love. The face of love is justice. The face of love is mercy. The face of love is, is integrity. The face of love is doing good by people. And that, that you know, do you or do you not, if you... And the COVID uh, 
emergency status, millions of people will be thrown off SNAP benefits. Millions of people will be thrown off Medicaid. In my mind, that's not a loving thing to do, Mm. (laughs) right? So to me, public policy, uh, these things relate to public policy every every bit as much as they relate to personal. And I also feel, and I've said this for a long time about those of us in the in the higher consciousness movement as i'm sure you realize a lot of people in the higher consciousness movement got here from having been in the depths recovery <laughs> whatever it was yep and i've i've said for years we should be the last people sitting out the political and economic and social questions of our day. We're the last people who should be standing to the sidelines. Because if you know, if you have a clue, as you both do, as to what changes a life, you're the one with the information most needed now as to what would change the world. You're the last people who should be sending this out, or we are the last people who should be sending this out. So I think that the interface of personal transformation and the wisdom that we got from that and bringing that into a space that is dominated by such transactional thinking that we all know is yeah. only symptom. It's not cause. It only treats the external. It doesn't treat the heart. It doesn't treat the real deep despair. Um, this interface is necessary now. Yeah. Because what you have learned from your journeys is how to endure chaos and to transform chaos. Yeah. Mm. Now we need, as a country, to learn how to endure chaos and transform chaos. Well, it's crazy when you find out, because I know a little bit, you know, specifically about New Hampshire, that we have one of the most millionaires per capita in the state, and our homelessness rate is so high, and our biggest homeless population is aged-out foster children. That's the majority of the people, because I'm in that world, too. I have a nonprofit called Revive, and we work with, you know, the addiction and, and all the other, you know, low income, those kinds of things. There's families in transition, which is here in New Hampshire. But yeah, our biggest homeless population is aged out foster children because yeah. they're not set up in a system for to failure. Well, first of all, you're speaking to the basic issue, which is obscene in this country, of income disparity. It's worse than it's been in 100 years. Secondly, and I've been talking about that all day and throughout the campaign, in the richest country in the world, there should not be hungry children. Yeah. This is unnecessary, and something is very, very wrong. Very wrong. And just, you know, there's no amount of... And this also goes back to, you know, why did you uh, get involved in politics? I have founded nonprofit organizations such as your work, and I've raised millions of dollars for charity. But I've learned no amount of private charity can compensate for a basic lack of social justice. If the systems themselves are so unjust, you can you can have a huge fundraiser and make all this money, and still it'll be coming back around again because the system is so kind of rotten at Flawed. its core, yeah. which it is as long as corporate dollars are placed before human beings. Yeah. That's what it is. It's profit over people. That's yeah. exactly and I say that in addiction treatment, I work in, in addiction treatment and I'm, you know, we're treating addiction wrong because it's trauma and people just aren't loved. And then they turn to substances and it all goes back to, to love, really. And well, then they're just pushing them through a system to pump them for more drugs because it's a billion dollar industry. And there's a lot of it has been very I'm a kind of um, my background leads me to be kind of 12-step fundamentalist. I mean, I, it is a spiritual recovery program, yeah. and I believe. And the way so much of the recovery movement has been sort of hijacked by capitalist forces, basically, who would indicate that you don't really need that. Um, 
And I see a lot of people fail because that spiritual piece was not in there. Well, 12 step, I was in 12 step for almost nine years of my life. And unfortunately, what's happening is it's very much fear based now and it's lost the God centeredness. And it's if you do this, you're going to die. If you act this way and you need to have somebody and it's really lost that piece of like Well, too many people aren't actually reading. I I have had people have said things and I've said, show me in the big book where it says that. Well, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. It's like, like, uh, I don't guess I'm, you know, uh, We've they've pulled away from that. Though. Yeah, in the right. meetings, they, in the sponsorship, in the control, in the fear, and like yeah, people. it's different. I, when I came back to Los Angeles, I remember after being in Michigan, I would talk to people who would speak about twelve steps, and I go, ah, it's not the twelve steps, I, you know. Yeah. And like I remember having conversation with one woman and saying, "Show me in the big book where it says that." Yeah. Or where it doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Like saying things that actually don't even relate to that or even pertain to what we're supposed to be taught and what we're supposed to be embodying, which is spirituality and believing in a power greater than ourselves to help us from our powerlessness. And so, and just remembering, remembering again, going back to remembering our infinite power inside. I still think the 12 steps, though, come from divine mind. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think Ch- that saved our lives. I, I feel with that book and everything Bill Wilson brought, I feel it's like The Course in Miracles, the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, when you, you're in the presence of something, more than the mortal mind came up with this. Yes. Absolutely. The big book saved my life. I would not be here without yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I'm so grateful for that mm-hmm. that book. I used to be called the big book thumper. I have mm-hmm. my original book. It's like all falling apart, right, all the right. pages. It's the like binding. underlined. Yeah. Like. The 12 <laughs> steps, the 12 traditions. And the story yeah, especially of the principles. We carry the principles with us all the time, right? Like that's we still live by the principles. Be a good human, help others, be altruistic, you know, think of others before yourself. And that's exactly what we're talking about with politics. It should be the same in terms of the yeah. collective. Should be that's all the public all the public policy is just like you would say, take what you were just talking about. How does that relate to my personal behavior? What should I do based on the fact that I'm trying to live those principles? Politics is simply what should we do based on the fact we're trying to live those principles. Some people would say, oh, those things don't have to do with public policy. And I would say they very much have to do with public policy. Otherwise, you get the homeless, the poor child, the foster children, the child poverty rate, the desecrated earth. I just think we the people has been lost along the way. Yeah, it's been turned into we the corporations. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm praying for big change. I see it coming. I feel it coming. We know it's coming. And, um, you know, we, we just feel very, very honored and excited that you took the time to sit with us in your busy schedule. Well, right back at you. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity as well. Yeah, the event here was super beautiful, too. I, uh, um, you know, what you had to say, and, and I, it was something that really hit me, too, and that all men are created equal. Like, when they came over here, that was something when they were like pioneers, right? Like pioneers of coming over here and breaking free and, and, Mm. you know, that mission of what like the United States is actually built on. That gets back to that legacy of light. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that because that was was very meaningful for me today. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, me and Tay always say we're just the pioneers. We're just like out here. Trudging, trudging. Trying to make the change for a little bit, like just giving women power and knowing that like we can step into these roles. Well, what American women can do to change the world, and actually, to be honest, right now, New Hampshire women. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why do you say New Hampshire women specifically? Because you're the first primary state. So who wins the New Hampshire primary? This Mm. will be true for the Republican as well as the Democrats. Who wins the New Hampshire primary? 
the on the Democratic side, the DNC has passed it by in terms of delegate counts, et cetera. But it's so in the consciousness and in the Constitution of, of, of New Hampshire that it has significance, even if the DNC says, oh, no, we're going to skip it. So whoever wins the New Hampshire primary, Democrat and Republican, it's huge. Mm. If you can't get anywhere in New Hampshire, you know, most people say, give it up. If you can get somewhere in the New Hampshire primary, it's like, wow. And Mm. it's momentum and fuel going forward. So New Hampshire just happens to be the first state. It's really profound. I didn't even know that. Did you? I just learned that. You what? I just learned that. Politics hasn't been your thing, huh, girl? No. no. Well, it is now. It is now. I've been, and it's yeah. a whole it's a whole new dimension of empowerment once you realize yes. it. Like, you've got a lot of power here. Yes. And I just think for so long, in my personal opinion, I think it terrified me a little bit because, again, like the people who have been running and, and running this country, it's it's been terrifying. And we don't know what to trust or what to believe or all the things like on the media or the news. Um you just like don't I just don't know like my personal opinion I'm like okay what do I believe this or that or this or that it's it's well if you're just looking at mainstream media it is yeah, very difficult it's toxic. because one one network is just whatever the Republicans say and the other network is exactly. just whatever the Democrats say but there's a lot of independent media I know you know David now and David yep. will tell you what to read yep. I'll tell you what to read yeah yeah I um and he is a good candidate actually <laughs> <laughs> I, I um I was just very uneducated about it for so long because, you know, I was a drug addict yeah. since I was a teenager and homeless and all of those things. And then I became, you know, I got sober and I had a new baby and I was just working really hard and doing all these things. So I just and when you dive into this world, people in this world were just like, yeah, we don't mess with politics. Like, I'm just not doing that. Yeah. Right. I'd rather I know the truth. I like live in this higher state of consciousness. And I know. But, but like, that's not a higher standard. I know. So like that's you where said, I, though, they're sitting on the sidelines and mm-hmm. you're saying, no, we and need also, to be the ones to step th- up. There is no I mean, picture Buddha. It's yeah. all about human suffering. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, you know, Jesus didn't come to earth to say, love yourself. Mm. He said, love one another. Mm. You know, Buddha is about compassion for all living things. There is no uh, any serious spiritual or religious path that gives any of us a pass on addressing the suffering of other sentient beings. And that's where the higher consciousness, that to me is the shadow of the higher consciousness. Yeah, well, I've never seen it like that. It's, yeah, it's this, it's like, oh, we're so spiritual, but really it's like, oh no, we're staying in our own little bubble where it's convenient not to have to get our dirt under our fingernails. Mm. And the thing that's so interesting is that the culture was fine with our staying in our own bubble because it didn't want to hear from us. And we were comfortable staying in our own bubble because then they weren't attacking us. And I can tell you, you get out of this bubble and you try to get in there, they don't like it. Yeah. But if you're a sacred rebel, you have to go That's where right. you're assigned. That's you have right. to go where you're assigned. You can't just stay in your comfort place. can't well, stay in your comfort zone. I don't believe in coincidences. So there's a reason why you were here yeah, and sitting here with platform us. and you know, came to the studio and, and all of that. I, I, I do believe there's a reason. Yeah. So. Einstein said either everything is a miracle or nothing is a miracle. Yeah. I choose to believe in the miracles. The magic. The magic. The legacy of life. Yeah. The legacy exactly. of life. Exactly. So if there's one thing that you would like the audience to know, we always do at the end, like take away 
like a life lesson, like a little light, whatever it is, like your <laughs> most important lesson that you've learned that you could share with our women or our viewers. Well, one thing I'd like your audience to... to know is that my website is marianne2024.com. Yes. <laughs> you can plug <laughs> it in. We will tag um, you. We will do all that stuff. We will have I a link. I think the um, lesson that has turned out to be the biggest for me is to say to yourself, Oh, get over yourself. <laughs> it's not about you. Yes. In almost every situation, just get over yourself, Marianne. It's not about it's you. It's not about that's, you. That's the best advice anyone has ever given me. It's really not about you. And uh, It doesn't even matter. <laughs> you remember that. You, you're really home free more than you have any idea. So good. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank it's you. been an honor. And yes. um, we're just so very excited to get this out to everyone. Thank you. Very we sweet. We will tag you. We will plug it all in. And it'll be up. Yeah, Thank you. Campaign, you can vote. I guess New Hampshire's number one vote. So wherever this is on the internet, so everywhere at this point is yeah. an yeah. important vote. And yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to what we have to say. It means the world. As always, we want to end this episode by reminding you that we are not medical professionals and we are not giving any type of medical advice. We are simply sharing our experience and solutions. We are here with the intentions of reminding you that you are never alone and that everyone's healing journey is unique to the individual. Make sure to follow us on all social media platforms to stay updated. Stay well, sacred rebels. See you next time.